Morning. How's everyone today? Awesome. Fantastic. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Pretty decent. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Um, Father, as we come to your word today, we want to lift up Nathan and Meredith as they grieve the death of Meredith's brother. We want to lift up her whole family, the Wall family, and ask that as they grieve, you would give them the gift of faith and repentance, that they would seek you and find you. And um, we pray that you would bless the words of my mouth, the meditation of every heart here, and that you would give us understanding and insight and help us to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today we're doing another American God sermon, our series about systems of religion or belief or idolatry that we find in the USA. Some of them have been originated in the USA, like Mormonism. Some of them are everywhere, but certainly in our daily lives, like today's, which is science and the natural world, too. Um, a lot of people treat science like their God or their religion in our culture. A lot of people also treat the natural world like their God or their religion. Sometimes those are the same people, sometimes not, maybe exactly. Um, we, we might call a faith in science, a religious faith in science, scientism, having too much confidence in science and what it claims. As we talk about false religious systems like this, remember, are, the, are, are, are these just to do with the bad people out there? Where do false religions start? In our hearts. They start in our hearts. And that's why this is helpful to us, to uproot our own idolatries and our own temptations. So I, I want to read from Genesis first so that we keep in mind the Christian basis for science, and partly it's because it's just going to take me a minute to get back to scriptures. So Genesis 1, 26 through 28, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And that's the Christian basis for science, right there. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. All right, now, science! Eureka! People make all kinds of claims about what science says, or proves, or decides, right? All kinds. To take a recent example that is more or less painful for many of us, whatever you think of the COVID protocols that were instituted to protect us from the spread of the virus, we can say this at the least. And I'm not getting political here. Many things that the FDA and various authorities told us were science. They came back and said, actually, we don't actually know. <laughs> it wasn't science. Um, uh, it turned out not to be scientifically proven. I don't care whether you fall on the more protocols or less protocol side of the equation. They themselves have come out and said, we, well, we weren't so sure after all. All right. Um, 
or if we can just take it to Germany to make it a little less uncomfortable, about three days ago, the German government, the health ministry, came out and said, we don't actually know if masks help prevent the spread of COVID. We don't know. Did the German government say that they knew? That it was science? Did they say that? Yes, they did. Did they send the riot police out after people without masks gathering to protest? Yes, they did. Now they don't know. Oops. People make some big claims in the name of science. All kinds, all kinds. And sometimes those claims are in the mouth of a government. Sometimes they're in the mouth of your teacher at school. Sometimes they're in your neighbor's mouth. Sometimes they're in our mouths. We make claims. We don't actually know if they're true, but we make them. Um, ha have you ever had anyone say to you, science has proven that God does not exist? I've had someone say that to me. Yeah, yeah, several of us. Okay, yeah. How about this one's common? Science has proven that the world got here through evolution. Proven. It's settled. Yes. Very common. Very common. So what is science? What's this thing that speaks to us with this voice of authority? Like a machine with one authoritative voice telling us the absolute truth about the world. This thing called science. I remember the man who told me that science had proven there was no God. He was a package delivery driver in the warehouse where I used to work. I saw him probably most weeks. Pretty friendly guy. I must have brought up religion, wanting to talk to him about the Lord or something. But as soon as I did that, it tripped a breaker. Science has proven there's no God. And I was kind of like, it was so, the air got so tense. This guy was clearly so like uptight, you know. It's like suddenly, like, it was like, you better not say anything else to me about this. I was like, oh, what, what, do you, what do you mean? Science has proven there's no God. Okay, I guess we can't talk about this. Science has proven it. He was, he was angry. What was clear, I've never forgotten that. What was clear was that to him, science was an authority. It was like a religion. It's where he found his comfort and security. But that's not what science is or how it works. <laughs> Actually, that's not what it is. That's not how you can use it. You can't do that. There's not this one thing called science that tells us absolute truths. Um, we have any science nerds in here? I know we have some. I'm looking at you, Gene. Yeah. So we have Seth. We have Jay. Okay. Yeah. We have some science nerds. Absolutely. You know that's not how science works. In fact, there's lots of scientists, and they're making different claims about different things based on different levels of expertise. Some of them have done a lot of research, and some of them not so much. And they disagree, and they fight, right? And often, sadly for us, those fights are hidden so that we don't get to see them. And we're given the impression by our media that there's one thing called science, and it made a decision. It found the truth. Science is actually not an authority. It's not like you go to the, con the construction site, and there's the foreman. He's like, this building's going to go here, this building's going to go there. You guys, I told you, stop working on that, start working on this. I have the blueprints. We're building the thing. Science is actually just like the hammer or the power drill. That's all that it is. If you look at the history of science, what you see is all these guys running around the construction site with hammers, and they're all building different things. And some of them are like, we're going to work on the same thing. And as they go, they're like, he's doing it wrong. Bad, bad job. And then... Some of, they, get, they get to something else another scientist built, like 
theories of how the planets move. They're like, that doesn't work at all. Tear it down. I'm going to put up a new one. Put up a new one. And, and that's science. Some, some buildings get remodeled and some just get torn right down because those theories, well, they don't explain the world actually very well. So let's talk about this stuff, this practice of science, which is the scientific method. Okay, what is that? The modern scientific method. You look at the world, you collect data, you make observations, and you're like, I'm going to imagine, I'm going I'm to form a hypothesis, which is like an educated guess about how something would work under certain conditions. And I'm going to do this maybe because I think I might be accurate, but also because it gives me a place to start experimenting. And I can run experiments, and then that will give me more data, and then I'll know, was that a good guess? Maybe the guess needs to be changed. Probably it needs to be changed like 100,000 times, or at least 100 times, before I get to a really good guess that gains enough traction and it fails to be disproven enough times that we could call it a theory. So, you know, I've, I have a hypothesis. Electricity conducts heat through resistance. So I'm going to take this piece of bacon, I'm going to put it on a metal plate, and I'm going to apply 10,000 volts. Let's see if it conducts heat. <laughs> Turns out I can obliterate bacon that way. I probably need a better experiment, <laughs> right? That was pretty dumb. That's a lot of electricity to start with. So I should probably refine my experiment too, and then I'll get some better data, and I can zero in on how this works and how much heat is being produced with how many volts, right? We just keep going. And eventually, maybe we get to something like the theory of electricity cooking bacon, or the theory of, of gravity. The theory of gravity. So what are we hoping to discover? Regular patterns in nature. Regular patterns we can rely on and use to predict what will happen next time, right? If Newton is right about gravity, then gravity doesn't just work six days out of the week, but on Tuesdays, we all start floating into the sky, <laughs> right? You got to tether yourself down so you don't get blown by the wind to another state. No, that's not, that would be a bad theory. That's not how, it has good predictive power. That's why we keep it around. It's, it's good at that. It, it, it wouldn't have been describing the natural world consistently if Tuesdays were oh, zero gravity day, here it comes again. We need a better theory if that's the case. And so, planetary motion, you have an ancient Greek guy named Ptolemy. He has this elaborate mathematical model of how the planets move, all based around the Earth being the center of the universe. And centuries later, Christian astronomers come along and say, no, the data is explained better if the sun is at the center, not the earth, and they tear down an ancient Greek theory, and then other people come along and they remodel what those guys did, Copernicus, Kepler, guys like that. That's how science works. Ptolemy's system was gone. It's part of the history of science. No one buys it anymore. It was wrong. So let me go even farther about the limits of science. Because I said it's just a tool, and that's important. But let's talk about what that means. Um, why does the scientific method work? Why does it work? Why can it give us useful information about the world? Teach us how to treat disease or cook bacon with electricity. Why? Why can it do that? Why, why can we figure out that you need this much rocket fuel to move this big of a rocket? Why? 
Because what? It's reproducible, but even more basically, because we live in an orderly world. We live in an orderly world. Does science, can science prove, this is a tricky question, can science prove that we live in an orderly world? Can it prove it? Does it actually even try to prove it? Science cannot prove that. It does not prove that. You say, yes, it does. Look at all the data. Over and over. I say, no, no, hold on, hold on. Can science predict the future? Can you take a telescope invented by Galileo and look into the future? Can I look into tomorrow and say, I know through science that gravity will work tomorrow? Actually, all I have is data about the past. All I have. You know that yesterday when you fell, you fell, you scraped your knee. The apple splattered on the ground. That was yesterday. That was five minutes ago. What about the future? No, no, you assume, you have to assume that tomorrow the apple will keep falling. You can't look into the future. No scientist can look into the future. Does that make sense? Science is just a tool. Can science, here's a more abstract and trippy question. Can the scientific method do an experiment on the scientific method to prove that the scientific method is good and useful? No, why not? Because you have to use the scientific method to do that. You can't use what you're trying to prove. A hammer can't hammer itself. A microscope can't examine itself. Science, science relies on a belief in an orderly universe or you can't use it. And that's why science belongs to Christians. That's why science belongs to Christians. Because the Christians have an answer we have a good reason for believing in an orderly world. We know the God who made it. His name is Yahweh. He created the world. He is an orderly God. He likes to show his glory. He likes to show it off. If you tell me, if you tell me, well, we can't know that, I say, you, sir, have a blind faith in an orderly universe. A blind faith. But our faith is not blind. Our faith is reasonable. It explains why science works. That's our God. He made it. There's a famous philosopher named Alfred North Whitehead, not a Christian. He said that the origin of science, modern science, required Christianity's insistence on the rationality of God. God is orderly. God is a rational, spiritual being. If you believe that, you understand that God didn't make the world so that gravity doesn't work on Tuesdays. He's not that kind of God. He likes order. He likes structure. The sun rises and sets every day. The seasons come and go every year. Why? God. He likes order. He keeps the universe running. I want to read a bunch of scriptures about this. There's so many we could read. Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. Then, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. It's just the start of the creation account. But you see what's happening. God likes order. This is different than this. I will separate them. I will keep them distinct. 
because I'm making this as I go. And I like these distinctions. He keeps doing that through the creation. Genesis 8, 20 through 22, right after the flood. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And that's why they haven't ceased. God is actually keeping it going. Hebrews 1.3, talking of Jesus, says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is actively keeping the universe going by the word of his power. Psalm 104 is a really long psalm all about how God's active in the natural processes of the world. It's beautiful. I was tempted to read it all to you. I'm going to content myself with a long quote. Verses 10 to 21. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for prey, seeking their food from God. How active is God in that psalm? He's planting the trees. He's watering the hills. He's feeding the lions. Do you think of God as being so active in creation? Or do you think of him more like a deist would think of God? That's a point of view that says God wound up creation like a clock. However intricate and cool it is, he wound it up, sets it on the shelf, and off he goes to kind of maybe observe from a distance. That's not a Christian view of God. That's not in the Bible. God is everywhere in creation doing stuff. And the Bible says that creation is always talking about its creator. It's always talking about him. It can't stop. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. In the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. Creation talks about God. But creation is also not God. God and the creation are separate. Which is another reason modern science belongs to Christians. Comes from Christians. Science doesn't make as much sense from an ancient Greek point of view. They were more like the Hindus. They had a kind of pantheism, which if you remember what that is, it's a sort of Star Wars view of God. Use the force, Luke. Everything is God. God is everything. Everything is kind of divine. And God didn't create the world. God kind of... Anyway, it's complicated. But it's not 
the idea that there's this creation that's a product of a God who ordered it and put it there so that we could know it. You could also take a, a religious system like animism, which you could find in Africa. It's also a kind of traditional Japanese religion, which says that everything has a spirit in it. Is it a radish? Is it a deer? Is it a river? There's a little God inside it. You're going to go do experiments on all the little gods? Really? I think you better just figure out how to be at peace with them. <laughs> I don't think you want to go do experiments on all the little gods, right? Doesn't make sense. But Christians know that creation reveals God. And we know that if I kick a rock down the road, not kicking a piece of God down the road. That reveals God to me. It's not God. So science makes sense. And science was developed. Science as we have it was developed by Christians. Modern science developed by Christians. The 12th, 13th century, you have guys who were Franciscan monks, a long chain of them. Robert Grossetest, you might not have heard of him. Roger Bacon, there's a lot of bacon in the sermon, there will be more. William of Ockham, these guys were Franciscans. They developed the basis of the modern scientific method. That's what they were doing. Uh, another bacon, I told you, another, a couple hundred years later, Francis Bacon, no relation, was a Christian nobleman in England. And he began to record the results of his scientific experiments. He got us even closer to modern scientific method. These are Christians. We could spend a lot of time talking about all the Christians who made discoveries about creation because they loved God and they believed that he had made the world to be known. That's why they did stuff. Da Vinci, Vesalius, Pascal, Isaac Newton, Joseph Priestley, Alessandro Volta, Louis Pasteur. That's just naming a few. You might not know all those names. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. And is this what you grew up learning? Christians gave us modern science. Of course not. No. I mean, maybe you did. But you're the exception if you did. Because people take the word science and they use it as an authoritative mouse mouthpiece for their own anti-God religion. That's what they do. Let's come back to my friend for a second at the warehouse who was like, science disproves the existence of God. What is going on when people or governments or organizations make these big claims in science without evidence, without reasoning, without showing you the cards like science always does? It's all about knowing all the cards and being able to say, take that card out. No good, right? What's going on? What's going on is that we have a feeling about something and we want safety and comfort. And we do this with lots of kinds of experts, not just science. We're all tempted to do this. So we want to feel safe like we did when we were little kids. We want our mom. We want our mom. We want comfort. We want science to tell us, masks work. I'm your mom. Don't think about it. Don't examine it. Again, you think I'm being political. I'm not being political. Masks work. We want to trust capital S science. It's comfortable. It's cozy. It reassures us. And a good mom reassures her kids. But when you're looking for truth and evidence, that's not right. That way of talking, that way of thinking is what we could call feminized. It's like seeking mothering. It's talking in a way that comforts and reassures you. But it has nothing to do with the truth. It doesn't have anything to do with science and the whole process of like discovering and saying, that was the wrong idea, let's keep going. It has nothing to do with that. 
it's all about feeling cozy. And this is what people do, like all the yard signs everywhere. In this house, we believe lots of things, etc., etc. Science is real. Really. Science is real. Sci- really. You know what? I, that's not very controversial. I believe science is real too. But I'm pretty sure that what you mean is that the people who make big claims about science that I like to listen to, they're right. Shut up. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what you mean when I see your yard sign. You don't mean, let's discover and investigate the natural world together. Isn't that a good practice? I don't think that's what you mean. Uh, how do you know evolution is true? Uh, because I trust science. Okay, so you mean you trust scientists who sort of together are like, we buy the theory of evolution. Are you aware of the evidence? Are you aware of the argument? Do you know that you could go to descentfromdarwin.org and you could see a very large petition signed by loads of hundreds of scientists from around the world who are all like, we think we should ask more questions about evolution because we all have various levels of unease with the way that it's taken for granted and we're not sure. This is not a Christian website, at least not that I know of. These are just hundreds of scientists from around the world. Oh, uh, well, if they disagree with evolution, they disagree with science. Okay, that's funny. So one side seems to be interested in the arguments, and the other side seems to have a kind of religious commitment to something. That's very interesting. It sounds like one side is actually practicing science, and the other side is like, you better not ask any questions about that. That's a little suspicious. You know, people like to say, oh, you Christians, you go, you need your comfort. So you go hide behind your God. You hide behind your Bible. No, actually, Christians have never been afraid historically of challenges to the Bible. The Bible's not true. It's a man-made document and the church edited it and they, and they hid all the bad books they didn't want people to see because no, actually, that's not, I mean, we've been dealing with claims like that for years. We, I mean, we just, we're like, oh, that's an interesting claim, let's, let's argue about it. Turns out it's pretty, pretty dumb. That's, that's what we do with everything. I don't know if you know that. Christians are like the people of argument. We're like, sure, let's argue about that. We're like, not scared. Christians are the ones who are like, oh, evolution. Okay, let's argue about that. Let's look at the data. Seems like there's a lot of holes in that. Shut up! Science! No. Let's not shut up. Science. <laughs> right? Let's, let's argue. Um, Christians never shied away, and Christians gave us modern science. And so don't let people intimidate you when they run to experts or when they're like, science! Because they're hiding behind a hammer. Oh, science. It's no good. Um, we should use and enjoy science. It's part of the way that we worship God. We should use it and enjoy it. And we should have arguments. We should honor God. We should love our neighbors. And we're going to learn more about how awesome God is as we do it. So, okay, before we end, a word about nature worship, earth worship, Gaia worship. I read a lot of scripture about what nature is. But just to sum up, here's a few things. One, nature is God's creature. It's not God. And it's evil to bow to the creation rather than the creator. It's what we learned from Romans 1, right? Don't put the creation above the creator. It's called idolatry. Don't do that. Two, 
Man is made in God's image, and he has a responsibility as God's representative to subdue the earth and take dominion over it. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. That's what we're supposed to do. Three, taking dominion means that you make a good use of something, and you care for it too. Man is to make nature serve him. That doesn't mean destroying the environment. It's stupid to endanger the blue whales. It's bad. We should care for the environment. We shouldn't worship it. We should care for it. Why? God made it. It displays his glory. Of course you care about things that God made. We ought to. That's Proverbs 12.10. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. God's people care about their animals. They do. They might eat them, but they're not going to be cruel to them. All right. We live in an evil culture. We live in an evil time. Animals are more important in a lot of nations than people. For instance, Oslo, capital city of Norway, they just rolled out this big statue of a walrus named Freya. Freya was a popular walrus. She was often seen off the coast. She was playing, and people started to get too close to her. This is a 6,000-pound animal of a species not known for making very good pets. Walruses are pretty dangerous. They're massive. City officials were like, someone's going to get et. Someone's going to get killed or maimed. So they euthanized her without her consent, no less. Okay, they euthanized her. Sorry, that's a really dark joke. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and now we have this impressive statue memorializing her. Okay. In Norway, there are 245 abortions for every 1,000 births, which is about one out of every four babies. And I'm sure that doesn't count chemical abortions, because one thing we've done with science that's very evil is we've taken our understanding of the natural world and we've turned it against our own children so that as they're embryos, we can either poison them to death or we can at least prevent them from attaching to their mother's womb. We have a lot of drugs that do that. And those kinds of deaths are very hidden because embryos are tiny and they're easy to hide. Where are the statues to our children that we kill on such a grand scale that it dwarfs the killings, all the killings of the first two world wars. I know a very well-done estimate of child murders that says the number will be around 2 billion babies by 2027. I don't know what to say to you for that, about that. I, you have to mourn that. Where are the statues? And then, of course, we euthanize, generally, not walruses, but we euthanize our old people because they're a burden. Or they feel like they're a burden and they don't have faith to die because they won't turn to their creator and find a hope that outlasts death. And so we're a culture that perverts our science. And we shed great tears over a walrus instead of our babies who we kill. So much of this evil is in service to an anti-Genesis 1 idea. Man is a blight. He's a disease. He's like a virus. He harms the natural world, so of course we ought to cut back on population. Mothers should not have children, or not many, or at least they should be able to kill them when they want. And that passage from Genesis about being fruitful and multiplying is evil. It's evil. Why is it evil? Because in this nature religion, we serve a master called sustainability. And plus motherhood can be enslaving to women, more of a curse than a blessing. And speaking of women, by the way, men can be women. Speaking of men... 
Women can be men. And if you don't want to transition away from your sex, well, the least you could do is this. If you're a dude, be a womanly dude. And if you're a lady, be a manly lady. If you're a woman, harden yourself. And if you're a man, soften yourself. It's the least you can do. Attack God's created gift of sexuality. Attack, in fact, attack the natural world. Attack it hard to show that you hate God. This is the world we live in. These are actually temptations in our own hearts. Being men and women is hard. We live in a world that wants to make it harder. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Are you kidding? No. No, 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 no. Let's teach children that walruses are more important than babies. It's evil to kill a walrus, at least if she's Freya. It's not evil to kill a baby. It might even be evil not to kill the baby. Overpopulation. Let's pass, let's pass laws that restrict the good use of things in the natural world. Let's do what the state of New York did, which is to restrict or prohibit gas hookups in future constructions. Fossil fuels make it pretty easy for even poor people with families, with kids, to keep their houses warm. Let's make that hard. Let's oppress them. Let's take away something in the natural world they could use. Why? Because science says that's bad for the environment. Fossil fuels, bad for the environment. Kind of like mankind, bad for the environment. This is not the way of Christians. It's not the way of Christians. We know our God. We know how and why he made us and all creation. We have it in the book of Genesis. We have a love for children. We have a love for old people. We have a love for all the people in the middle. They're made in the image of God. Science is supposed to serve them. It's supposed to honor God. So let's, let's do that. Let's think that way. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for creating this beautiful world, which is like a movie theater full of all kinds of amazing movies that show your glory, where there's endless mysteries to discover, endless things to learn and invent and use. Thank you for giving us science as a tool to help us take dominion over the world. Help us to do it for your glory, to love our neighbors and not be taken captive by false and evil ideas about nature and science that are all around us. Help us to trust your word instead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.